0: You're listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. This is a chronological Bible study going chapter by chapter, discovering Christ in all of Scripture. This is Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, the first Sabbath. The universe is now a week old. If I could choose to go back in time and witness anything, seeing the creation of the world would be one of the things I'd choose in addition to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Four times we're told that God finished his work of creating the world and the universe. Nothing new is created after that. He maintains his creation by the processes he has put into place. God did not rest because he was tired. Remember, he spoke creation into existence. It's similar to an artist finishing a work of art and then sitting back to admire their handiwork. So God blesses for the third time. First he blessed the animals, then people, and this time he blesses the day of rest. By doing so, he sets a pattern for people to work six days and rest on the seventh day. He also sanctifies or makes holy the seventh day, which means to set it apart for a special purpose. It is not called the Sabbath until Exodus 16.23. In Mark 2.27, Jesus says, The Sabbath was made for man, because God knew we needed to rest and be refreshed. As I mentioned, this is the only reason we have a seven-day week. The sun dictates our 24-hour day, the cycles of the moon dictate our months, our planet's trip around the sun dictates our year, and the stars aid in navigation. But apart from God establishing the pattern of seven days, It would not be intuitive for a person to establish it, but God as creator can do it, and he has done it. The details about creation week can only be known because God has revealed this information to Moses. Before the flood there was no rain, but the earth was watered by mists and springs. Also, the water canopy over the earth, which we mentioned in chapter 1, made the whole earth a consistent temperature, which was tropical. And that's why you can find dinosaur fossils in Canada. Then we see God forming man from the dust of the ground like a master craftsman. But man was not alive until God breathed life into his nostrils. Then it says, the man became a living being. Verses 8-17, through Provision and Prohibition Here we have a description of the garden God planted and gave to man to provide for him. It had everything he needed. Then we are informed that in addition to all the trees that were pleasant to look at and good for food, there were two other trees in the middle of the garden, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And these will figure into the narrative of the fall in the next chapter. There was a river that watered the garden. As it left the garden, it split it into four tributaries, which are named, and the characteristics of the surrounding countries are described. Some produce gold and others onyx. The mention of country names were written for the benefit of those reading at a later time when those places were inhabited. Adam was put to work as a gardener. Work is not a curse as part of the fall, but another reflection that we are like our creator. Hard work and frustration came after the fall. The prohibitive command regarding the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was first given to Adam alone, but he told Eve about it, as she knew it as well. Notice that the tree of life was not forbidden from them. Why, oh, why didn't they eat from it instead? Verse 15 and 18 to 25 Work and Marriage So Eden was the perfect environment for people to thrive in, prepared especially for them. Adam and Eve were created by the direct action of God, Adam from the ground and Eve from Adam. The rest of us are born into the world. Humans are the crowning glory of his creation, made in his image. We looked at what this means in the previous chapter. Eve was created the same day, but after his work was done. Meanwhile, God set Adam to work, naming all the creatures. These would have been the main genus types, not every individual creature. And naming them showed Adam's ownership over them. After creation on each day, God said, and it was good. But this is the first time when God said something was not good. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So his loneliness and lack of companionship makes him realize he doesn't have a counterpart like the animals do, and his need for a helper demonstrates his inadequacy rather than her inferiority. And Eve was created for fellowship and companionship with Adam. Both man and woman were made in the image of God. Together they reveal aspects of God's character, strength, protection, care, and nurturing. There is a complementary nature in the relationship. What he lacked, she supplied, and vice versa. But the provision of a mate for Adam was given by God, and the person God decides to make for him is described as a helper suitable for him. Then we see the first surgery, a deep sleep, removal of a rib, closing up the flesh. God uses a part of him to make a woman, which is why she is called woman, which means she was taken out of man. So when he wakes up and sees her, he breaks out into poetry. Plato said, at the touch of love, everyone becomes a poet. So this is Adam's only recorded statement before the fall, celebrating his wife. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Matthew Henry describes it this way, The woman was made out of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. This is often read at weddings. So does this mean all men have one less rib than women? I remember a teacher in nursing school biology class mocking this. She said, no, men have the same number of ribs as women do. But the Bible doesn't say all men have one less rib, just Adam. If you have your appendix removed surgically, then you have children. Are your children born without an appendix? Of course not. The reason is that his rib was removed surgically by the great physician. There was not a genetic factor involved. Then we see the first wedding ceremony performed by the father of the bride who brought her to the man, as we also do in our wedding ceremonies, and in this case we get the famous words that we also use, there were no dating apps, this was the ultimate in arranged marriages, there were no other choices, and yet God the Father knows exactly what they will like and they are both pleased. Then God, as the father of the bride, presents her to the groom. Then the pastor, as the pastor, he performs the ceremony. His words are quoted at wedding ceremonies. I've seen weddings where the father of the bride is also a pastor, so he walks her up the aisle, then performs the ceremony as well. Marriage was God's idea. It was instituted before the fall, as work was. Marriage is not an evil idea, but something for our protection and our good. It was primarily for the purpose of companionship. It is not good for man to be alone, and secondarily for procreation, be fruitful and multiply. And that's why marriage is still valid, even if there are no children produced, and after the children have left home. Marriage is established between one man and one woman. They must leave and cleave. So cleave means to cling or be united to someone. You must leave your parents, emotionally and financially at least, physically as well if possible. It is necessary to start a new family. They have new loyalties. to become one. This is intimacy. And marriage is meant to be exclusive. Commitment to each other with no room for anyone else. Marriage pictures the covenant relationship between God and his people. In Ephesians 5:25 to 33 especially verse 32, Paul is speaking about marriage and says, This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. So they were to leave father and mother. Now Adam and Eve did not have parents to leave, but God gives the instruction for the benefit of future generations. And the verse, That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh, follows Adam's statement about woman coming from man as the basis for the intimacy and exclusivity of marriage. The verse at the end of the chapter about their nakedness and lack of shame may seem out of place, but it links the pre-fall condition with what follows. They were naked but not ashamed. and This doesn't idealize nudity but shows the contrast before and after the fall. Before sin entered the world, there was no need to hide from each other or from God. The fall caused loss of innocence and feelings of shame. In scripture, nakedness is always a symbol of weakness, need, and humiliation. Also, remember, it's easier to be naked in a tropical setting than in Canada in December, since the pre-flood world was tropical. Eve was an amazing woman. We tend to think less of her because she is associated with the fall. But I think if we look at her a little more closely, we will see some of her attributes. Scarlet Threads So what scarlet threads or hints of Jesus Christ or an application to the gospel do we find in this chapter? Adam wasn't alive until God gave him the breath of life. As the Spirit of God gives us spiritual life. Eve was the bride or wife of Adam. The church is the bride or wife of Christ. God blessed the seventh day and established it as a day of rest, and Moses links it to the creation week in the Ten Commandments. Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath rest represented our rest from working for our salvation, for we are saved by grace through faith, not by works. The world and the Garden of Eden in particular was made specifically to provide for the needs of people and animals, and he was put to work, but it came with a prohibition. When paradise is restored, we will have all our needs met, and we will serve him, and we will have access to the tree of life forbidden to our first parents. Marriage was, by God's design, between a man and a woman. Jesus referred back to the creation week as the authority and precedent that marriage is between a man and a woman, and therefore they should not divorce. You've been listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and comment. And continue listening for Genesis chapter 3. May God bless the study of his word.